I'm Brandon Spratt. Welcome to Awaken, the podcast. I believe the most valuable gift you can give yourself and others in this world is authentic presence. When you are in your truth and you own it, you become an empowered being with the capacity to inspire others by just your presence alone. The journey to becoming a more empowered, inspired, and aware being starts right now. The part of my life that I'm going to share in today's podcast is not all roses. This is who I was as an adolescent growing up in the world and before I realized my truth and reunited with uh, my my soul and my awareness. Ah, so here goes. <clears throat> my teacher, Miss Cook, and I hope uh, she gets to hear this story one day um, or listen to this. I'll send this to her actually. She said to me, you're late again. And I remember walking into class um, being so high on cough medicine. It was a cough medicine nicknamed Triple C's and I was also on Xanax. And so while my memory is quite inhibited from these type of events in my life, I'm recalling as best I can um, to share these stories about some of the darker side of my past. So you can see that it doesn't have to be perceived as negative, but it can be an evolutionary point for, for more awareness to um, cultivate later on. But in the, in the moment, you know, it was quite uh, debilitating for myself, for, for school, for my path, for my, at that time, my future then, and for my parents, my family, and, and the people around me. It was very dangerous because my mind was so inhibited by a lot of drugs. Um, but anyway, my mind has recuperated from a lot of meditation <laughs> and a lot of yoga. And, uh, you know, this is all like an onion with seemingly infinite layers. My spirit was covered by so many layers of, of suffering, whether from other lives in the past karmically or inheriting, you know, stuff from my parents and being so sensitive and feeling so much. Whatever the reasons were, you know, I had a lot of stuff that I was covering up and I wore a lot of masks. And I have to ask myself why. Why was I trying to numb it all away? You know, I think deep down I wanted to fit in. I wanted to hang out with the kids who were cool. And I adopted the belief that I would try anything <laughs> once in a while. I would try at least everything once, every drug once. And so I pretty much did. And I didn't realize how damaging that thought could be. But uh, anyway, I, I didn't turn out half bad in the end. And the journey is still feels like the beginning sometimes. So my teacher, after her saying, you're late again, I remember those words so clearly, and I turn in my pass and say to Miss Cook, here's my pass, sorry. I remember her looking at me disappointed again, and I wanted to go sit, to, sit next to my best friend, who I think it was my friend Amber Lynn in this class at this time, who was also, we were just a mess, us two, uh, at this time in our life. I remember she looked at me and she gave me a wink or kind of a smirk like, yeah, you're out of it too. Me too. Let's, you know, I can relate. <laughs> I remember it was like that kind of thing, like I'm high too kind of look. And we smiled and we shared some eye contact and just like sat and pretended to pay attention. It's interesting though because, you know, looking back, it's like 
we were able to wink and smile and smirk at each other because outwardly we had the same shell. We were hiding from the world, from who we really are, because we were so insecure and so fear and terrified to be any type of vulnerable or real in the world. But we both shared the same suffering, uh, misunderstanding, confusion of the world, and not truly feeling connected to anything more than um, our sensory experiences. So I sat in the classroom, dozing and out of consciousness. I remember this particular time, I was so out of it. I remember I was about to black out, and my teacher, Miss Cook, kept calling my name, but I can't remember what she was trying to get my attention exactly for. Maybe I was dozing off and she was trying to keep me awake, I can't even remember. But she was always calling on me because there were some days I was really good and I was attentive and I wouldn't be high and I would be pretty smart and bright and, and on it. And I would participate and I would have fun and engage and I was sometimes a class clown and other times I was not. But this particular day I was numb and I knew she knew. I knew she could read right through me. So I raised my hand because I was feeling nauseous like I was going to throw up from all the pills I was on and I asked to go to the bathroom. I was feeling nauseous and she knew I was not well so she permitted me to excuse myself. But I'm kind of surprised because if I was a teacher and looking at her or looking at a student that pale and messed up, you know, I don't know if I would have let them go to the bathroom alone and be worried they might die. But it was her call and I went to the bathroom. I remember stumbling my way there and through the students' desks and just feeling so disoriented. I finally made my way to the door and I just have to say there must have been angels around me because I was so messed up. I don't know how anybody let me get through this day without like sending me home or sending me to the dean or something. Miss Cook looked at me with these eyes of despair as I walked past her and I remember just feeling everything was really quiet and I could feel like I almost it's like I could feel her heart like she wanted to cry right then and there. She was so sad and she could feel my suffering and she was so disheartened and I could feel the pain um, that she was seeing as someone who has been a mother and is a very motherly type of energy and to see me just so out of it was probably very heartbreaking. I could feel that in that moment. And I don't know why, maybe she was just motherly to me for some reason, but she just had a strong feminine energy and wanted to take care. She was a caretaker and there was a lot of good times where she helped me out through projects and and, and whenever I would be really focused, you know, we really bonded quite a bit. So just a few seconds after the classroom door closes behind me, I hear it open again and I turn around and I see Amber, the girl who was sitting next to me in class, and high as a kite as well. I, and this probably makes sense now that Miss um, <laughs> Cook let Amber go out of the room with me so that... Uh, uh, maybe I can have a companion to make sure I didn't, you know, die in the bathroom or something. But anyway, both Amber and I are now walking the halls of the school, just totally messed up. And she comes outside and asks me if I want to go smoke a cigarette out by the garden, and we used to call it Scotty's Shed. And Scotty was this 90-year-old woman who, uh, who gardened and tended to the entire school herself with a couple other people, but mostly herself. She was actually a war veteran who used to jump out of helicopters. She was one of the first female um, people, individuals, to be in war. And uh, she wasn't patrolling the area today like she normally was. So we took advantage of it and we went out back there and we had a couple of cigarettes. And, and by this point, <clears throat> excuse me, by this point I think we just totally 
skipped out of school altogether. I can't even remember. Um, I don't remember what we discussed that, you know, being there high smoking or whatever. But I do remember, you know, at this moment that I, I realized I had another addiction. It was tobacco. I began smoking cigarettes at about 14 years old. I was high on Xanax quite regularly, multiple times a week, and I was drinking hard alcohol at parties at least at least three or four days a week sometimes. And also I was getting that crappy over-the-counter cough syrup, you know, I, that's what I would get high on, on the, that really bad cheap stuff if I didn't have any drugs of my own. And of course I was smoking pot on top of it all. So no wonder why my liver failed two years later, but more about that in a minute. After I lit my cigarette behind Scotty's shed, my nausea, my nausea went away a little bit and I associated it with a pleasurable experience. I found something to, to take away the nauseous feeling associated with all the drugs that I was taking. I was hooked. It wasn't long before I was packing uh, <laughs> cigarettes in my backpack and I was smoking a pack a day. My lunch money from my mother definitely was not going towards any lunch. I would fast or not have lunch at all and, uh, and I would be buying whatever drugs I could get with my lunch money per week. Over the next two years I would be stuck here in this space of suffering and conscious rebelling against any authority or figures, um, really having bad relationships with my stepfather and my mother who just wanted to help me but I wouldn't give them the time of day at all. And long story short, you know, I learned my lessons the hard way by getting arrested, running away from police, stealing from people, you name it. All this karma finally caught up with me and I felt the darkest that I have ever felt in my life. I fell the farthest at this point in my life that I had ever fallen. After taking too many drugs and drinking a half a handle of liquor one night at a party, I knew I was not well. I didn't have any intention of suicide, although I was quite a depressed kid uh, and quite manic and seemingly bipolar when I look back at it all. But I had an intention that I could be able to handle myself better than anybody else. Even if I could die from it, I would fake my way just to prove that I was strong <laughs> and I was just so weak. I left this house one night and I began to skateboard home. And before I knew it, I was in a ditch on the side of the road, barely conscious. I don't even remember hardly anything. Again, this is one of those moments where the angels and there was a, there was a force around me that was, that was working with me. I don't know where this energy came from, but I was somehow able to ha muster some energy to dial my mother on my cell phone. I hardly remember doing this, and I couldn't even talk. I was so out of it, I couldn't even mutter a single word. And all I could hear, I, don't, I barely remember this, but I could barely hear faintly saying, Brandon, Brandon, what's going on? Where are you? You know, it's past your curfew. Where are you? And all this, you know, panic from her voice. And I just remember like, oh shit, why did I call my mom? I shouldn't have done that. And I remember thinking like I wanted to hang up and I was feeling like I was going to black out and I was feeling stressed out by her concern and I was just like, oh, why did I call her of all people? I must have told her where I was because, you know, within, you know, a certain amount of time later she was there picking me up and I saw, I saw headlights actually in my face as a car parked and the lights turn off and I thought I was going to hear my mother screaming at me but she wasn't. She just said get in the car and she helped me up, put my skateboard in the back of the car and, um, and I got in the car and 
my mother's energy sobered me up a little bit. Sitting up there in the car, I didn't feel sick, but I somehow felt like like that sober feeling washing over me because of her fear, her anxiety, her worry, her motherly, motherly concern. You know, I couldn't I couldn't pretend I wasn't messed up. I was clearly beyond out of it. Um, <laughs> I was reeking of alcohol, and I remember actually before I even um, got in the car and she was there, I faintly remember like rolling around the dirt trying to get the alcohol smell off of me. So I was a mess. I was a dirty mess found in a ditch by my mother. And she said to me in the car, Brandon, don't even lie. I can smell the alcohol on you. I know you've been drinking. And I, I nodded. I don't even think I tried to lie. And I just remember the rest of the car ride being pretty silent. And luckily, we, I grew up in a small town, so we were only about two miles away from home. And I remember getting home, finally starting to feel a little nauseous again, and realizing that I had extreme alcohol poisoning. And I knew as soon as I got in that house, it was going to be two things. One, hell, because I would have to deal with the repercussions of my actions. And two, safe. <laughs> so it was very strange and conflicting. When we got home, my mother tells Bob, my stepfather, what's going on. I immediately rushed to the bathroom whenever my mom told me to ask him, or told me to tell him what was going on. I couldn't even speak a word. I was just about to throw up and pass out. And I go to the bathroom. I walk past them. I walk past everybody. And that was the last thing I remember. Then I woke up uh, being put on a stretcher and being taken out of the front door of my home and to the back of an ambulance. I remember thinking the lights were giving me a headache <laughs> and how abruptly they woke me up and I was really pissed. I remember feeling like, what the hell is going on? What a mess. Moments later, I had all kinds of needles stabbing into my arms and oxygen masks over my mouth and I was blacking out and coming back and I was in and out of consciousness. Each breath was not a guarantee at this point. One moment, one breath. One moment I was conscious, the next I was out complete darkness, then light, then opening my eyes, disorienting with all these people and machines around me. At one point I completely blacked out and I'm, I guess I was saying things to the nurse or, or to the doctors that were taking care of me, things that I don't remember. I was saying embarrassing things of like, I'm going to go to church tomorrow, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, I'm finally going to go to church with my parents, just watch me, I'm going to go to church. And I, my mom told me that they were like, you know, looking at me like, oh God, who's this kid? And, you know, they also gave me this look of like, what a waste of our time. There are people who are, you know, in car accidents or in, in severe issues that are going on. And, and I did this to myself. And I could, that's what I was told, that they were, they were, they were upset that they were wasting their evening on me whenever somebody else who really needed support that, uh, that they were not there to go save somebody else. But thank God that they were willing to save me, but they, they sure gave my mom a hell of a time and gave her a talk about how to parent. And after an entire night of tests, they determined that my liver had aged about 25 years in just one night alone. And that if I continued to act this way and to drink, I would probably die in my 20s, if not my early 30s. I never had felt this kind of feeling before, that fear of like, you're going to die, you know, someone telling you like this. 
It's one thing whenever your parents try to get you to stop and you're rebelling against them because you have resentment toward them about your child and how you grew up and whatever issues you have in your own psyche. But when a doctor, you know, and a professional outside of your family that comes to you in a sterile room with fluorescent lights telling you that your liver is going to die, that you have the possibility of dying in the next 10 years, it's an entirely new feeling. A level of fear can really wake you up. No love, no depth, nothing from this doctor, just it's a guarantee. So after a week of being hungover and detoxing from all the toxins in my body and finally getting back into school, when I went back everyone said I looked different. Maybe it was because I had to grow up here and learn this lesson. Maybe I looked like I had aged a bit, you know? Who knows exactly. All I do know is that I went to my teachers and I asked how I could do better. I talked to each one of my teachers about my experience. Man, I'm, <laughs> I'm being brought to tears right now. Reading, um, re uh, reading, you know, into the past of what happened, and it's quite intense. I haven't talked about this in, in a while, and I'm, I'm happy to share this, you know, in hopes that it can help in any way. Um, <sighs> if you're still here with me in this story, go ahead and let's just take a deep breath. And exhale. Okay. So I went to talk to each one of my teachers about my experience and why I was gone for a week and how I wanted to actually do something with my life and not just waste it away like I was doing. My reading teacher, Miss Cook, the one who I mentioned earlier, gave me a task to go to um, the library and find a book on spirituality and write a paper about it. And I went to the library and I discovered a book that popped out that I still have with me to this day. Um, it was Siddhartha Gautama, if I'm saying that right. I, I can never say those Indian Sanskrit names right. But it was the book and the story of Buddha. And then I was fascinated by these other books that I was finding on Hinduism and Taoism and other ancient spiritual texts. I remember opening them and trying to read them, and I didn't understand even what I was reading, but I just kept trying to read it. You know, my, my spirit and my soul was, I think, waking up at this point. You know, my, my physiology, my brain and my cells in my brain, you know, I killed a lot of them. And so I was, <laughs> there, was a, there was an unseen energy coming through me trying to support me and help me and reading again and being intellectual and being smart and doing some focusing, studying work. Um, <clears throat> you know, what did stick through all the brain cells that died was a cracking open of my consciousness, um, a transformation, a compassion opened, an empathy towards other people. I remember seeing other people and wanting to help, and I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I wanted to help. I remember feeling a little bit more gratitude uh, for life and finding a purpose and just being able to commit to these projects that my teachers wanted me to, to do. You know, it took me years to be able to understand the depths of all the spirituality um, I was experiencing in this moment and even within those texts. But what I do understand is that it was a pathway to um, beginning to find a bit more peace and I knew I wanted to continue that kind of journey.
because of this first assignment, I knew I wanted to change. In that paper that I wrote, it was a deep self-reflection, and I still have that binder to this day. It's in my, uh, my, old, my old home in L.A. And I remember discovering part of my reasoning for numbing myself was because I was just so bored. I was actually very smart. I just didn't know it, and I didn't know how to channel my energy and direct it and focus it. There was a lack of intellectual and emotional stimulation in my psyche. From this self-realization, I was able to transform who I was completely. And one semester, I went from all the generic classes as a complete degenerate to being in seven advanced placement classes and in one college cl class at the community college nearby. I realized that my GPA needed some work, so after getting C's, D's, and F's and failing most of my classes, I developed another realization that I wouldn't be able to get into college if I didn't do something drastic and act fast, and I would have to really commit for my junior and senior year that I needed to completely transform and I needed to basically get straight A's for the next couple of years. I remember all the advanced placement students talking about me and saying, can you believe he's in our class and he's passing? He used to be in like the regular classes. What happened to him? And I remember hearing some of these things and I remember how proud of myself I became. I was finally shaping into someone who people were impressed by. I realized that no one talks about a druggie unless you're, you know, like a mess of a celebrity and you're just in pop culture or, you know, unless you die. But it sounds harsh, I know. But you know, I think that's pretty true. Anyways, that's the past, and it took a lot to remember some of those details of who I used to be, but it really set a foundation, an anchor for the rest of my life. You know, it showed me that whenever we're able to focus on a certain task and really give ourselves, you know, no matter what the task is, yes, if we're passionate about something, it helps. But if we can bring passion into a task that we don't feel passionate about, that's true spiritual work. And I've been at this place, rock bottom, you know, more than once. Another story I'll share is my actual homelessness in L.A. Um, that was kind of a repeat pattern of what happened at this phase in my life. I was, again, doing a lot of drugs, and my mind was getting quite messed up. I was also doing a lot of spiritual practices, mixing drugs with it. And it just became absolutely confusing and really detrimental to um, clarity and stability in my life. And the realization from that uh, homelessness in L.A. was about the same realiza realization that I had whenever I was in high school as a sophomore. Was that I need to really get grounded and focus my attention on something meaningful that helps other people instead of being so self-consumed in insecurity and fear. Because whenever we get stuck on our insecurities and fears, we create a very bad situation for ourselves. We really self-destruct. And for me, it tends to be quite dramatic, clearly, because I've had some intense situations along my path. But overall, everything seems to turn out okay. Even though I went through a hell of a time with drugs and alcohol, you know, now I'm able to have such a deep level of compassion by overcoming those hardships and overcoming those challenges and overcoming, 
multiple types of addiction, not just, you know, alcohol and drugs, but food and relationships and anything else that we can be so easily addicted to. And the awareness has made all the difference in checking in with how can I live a life that truly serves another person? How can I consistently show up in my practices, learn to transcend any fears or anxieties and insecurities that pop up within me, and then be able to share that with, the other, with other people? I think that's the true merit of spirituality and how we can transform our our negative experiences because if I were just to wallow in you know the negativeness of my past which I did for quite some time and I think that's why I actually ended up being homeless there's many reasons there and we'll go into that story later but there's there's many reasons why things have to happen but if we are focusing too much in the past that can become like a spiral and so the most profound way that I've been able to transcend these past experiences that debilitated me with paralyzing fear was to feel the fear and do it anyway. But in order to do that, I had to do some deep spiritual work, which was not just affirmations, not just, you know, listening to Oprah and and integrating her thoughts and listening to other thought leaders or reading other thought leaders' uh, ideas about reality or philosophy, I had to put into practice everything. I had to be completely honest. I had to be completely willing to show up. And I had to be willing to surrender. Surrender everything that I thought I wanted, all I needed, and surrender all the other things that we really don't need in our life. And surrender over desires because I think if we get too trapped in our desires then we get stuck in a, in a place of not being able to have anything come into manifestation because whenever you lock on a desire and you don't let it go it's like not letting the universe be able to take your order whenever you go order something you know and you have to turn in a, turn in a, a ticket you let go and let the person receive your order why can't we do the same with the universe? And so the path that I had found for me that worked through all of this past clutter and mind confusion was an early morning practice right about the sun when the sun's rising, committing myself to a morning practice of meditation, pranayama, yoga, and other kundalini practices and it has profoundly transformed my life in a very fast very quick amount of time I practice things like Course in Miracles and other types of yoga paths and practices and nothing ever could stick I could never commit to any one thing like that and kundalini yoga was the path that I found that I was able to commit to because there was so much variety within it and there was so much creativity in it. And then it healed me so much that I wanted to be able to give this gift to people. So wherever you're in, in your path, make sure you're trying new things. Make sure you're still willing to maybe let your path drop to the side for a second and try something new. 
and not to let go completely of your path, but just to try other things, because you never know what could work for you. And I'm not saying that this is a path for everyone. I definitely don't want to be an evangelical type of person, but I do know that this was the fastest transformation I've ever experienced in my life. And I see people continuously going through rapid transformations. And um, I'm going to wrap up this podcast here um, with just letting you guys know that if you're searching for peace and relief from your mind, there is a way. But just continue to seek. Continue to find inspiration and continue to be around people that support you and unconditionally love you and don't judge you and truly see who you are and also bring yourself to go to new trainings and workshops and events and things that will put you a little bit outside your comfort zone and challenge you and build up a strong nervous system when we have a strong nervous system and a clean glandular system and our endocrine system is all purified and working in sync which is, that's why Kundalini Yoga is so powerful, because every exercise, every pranayama, every meditation works on these, all these systems together. So it's not separate from one another, but it's all integrating and working at the same time. And so if this type of work interests you um, and you'd like to know more, you can email me at b at brandonspratt.com and I'd be happy to uh, support you along your path. And um, if you're interested in doing some deeper work and some coaching and you'd like some specific you know, mantras or meditations or practices that'll work for you after a discussion on some of your challenges in life, um, I would love to, to help support you in that. And also I have two retreats coming up this year. We're going to dive deep into everything that I've said here, ridding ourselves of the lingering insecurities in our, in our life and reprogramming our minds so that we can have a true transformation in our life. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, and I don't want to say that in this retreat you're going to be liberated. It takes, it takes a long time to be able to be liberated. You know, this is an infinite journey and an eternal world and eternal existence we are in the game that we're playing in of, of life. So just know that this retreat, whether this is going to be something that deepens your practice or maybe launches and starts a new practice for you, just come with an open mind and be willing to to see yourself transform. You will have moments of awakening. You will have moments of enlightenment. You will have shifts in perspective. You will have shifts in awareness. But you will not be liberated overnight. It will be a seed that plants. It will be a deepening of a practice, a practical spirituality, where you will learn why mantra works. You will learn why we move our body in certain ways and how it works with certain organs. We'll learn about the chakra system at a very deep, visceral level. So if any of that resonates with you um, and you want to know more information about any retreats that are coming up this year, you can check out my website, brandonspratt.com, or you can send me an email to b at brandonspratt.com, and I'd be happy to send you over any links and any inspiration. Um, yeah. So please reach out. I'm here for you if you need any support. Satnam, Waheguru, and Namaste. I'm Brandon Spratt, and you've been listening to Awaken, the podcast. You can follow Awaken on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.
If you haven't done so yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me every week or every other week for Awakening Conversations. Thank you for listening.